Hey everyone, and welcome to another exciting episode of Battle of the Atom. This is your weekly X-Men podcast where we rank every story from A to Z. I'm Adam. And I'm Zach and Adam. Hey. I need to tell you something, boyo. Uh, does it involve uh, secret spies or uh, supersonic frequencies? <laughs> it does, it does. Because uh, this week we are going to be talking vaguely about Banshee. <laughs> yeah when we said we were talking about banshee and then i saw the stories like this is a kind of a banshee episode he's in these stories these are three stories where banshee is in and important things happen to banshee in two of them yes very very much so the other one involves uh his home away from home a little bit <laughs> yeah, i'll say and he, he's an important character in that story as well okay so i it's not even in these stories, but I was reading some of the uh, Claremont Bolton uh, classic X-Men. Because oh, I love those. Because they've been so poorly collected for years, mm-hmm. uh, they'd just been a gap for me. And I had actually been uh, going through and anytime I saw one at a shop, just pick them up. And I was waiting to do like just a big run through of everything. Yeah. Because, you know, even though they're not going to be in necessarily chronological order, they're in like a loose chronology with the rest of in sync with the rest of the x-men run so i figured okay well that's a good way to go through it uh and there's there's a story with banshee and you know in the first one just about him around the giant size era and i really liked it yeah yeah Uh, he was just a charming guy and (laughs) i want more charming banshee between that and generation x banshee i want more yeah, it's it's kind of amazing, and we're going to see a couple different versions of him. How he's been um, sort of de-aged, and, and uh, you know, there's definitely different versions of this character. But original recipe Banshee is fun. You know, he's, um, he's... well, okay, original <laughs> recipe Banshee is Silver Age Banshee with a bad thing on his head. He's less fun. I guess that's true. But uh, giant size Banshee is, uh, well, that makes it sound like he's gigantic. You Which know what I mean. Be. Yeah, Claire Manchie. <laughs> We're talking about Claire Manchie. <laughs> Claire Manchie. <laughs> uh, this this uh, episode was requested by Patreon supporter Will. He went over to Patreon.com, threw in some money our way, and said, Guys, you're great. I want you to do these stories. And we did. So this is where we're at. Mm-hmm. Uh and it's a it's a fun time. So the first one we're going to talk about is actually uh, the swan song of Banshee on the original X Men. Uh, this is X Men uh, at this point finally called the Uncanny X Men uh, one eighteen mm-hmm. to one nineteen, the submergence of Japan. Yeah, it sure is uh, somewhat underwater here. That's not good. It's getting there. So. <laughs> As as context for this, the X-Men had been on a uh, long vacation in the Savage Land, and they were finally making their way home. Vacation's a strong word. They got stranded there. Yeah, the the X-Men are considered dead, correct? Yeah, uh, well, the only people who actually consider the X-Men are Jean Grey, Beast, and uh, Professor, you know, X. Professor X. Yep. They think they're dead. Uh, 
And the X-Men think that Jean Grey and Beast are dead. And they're just kind of trying to get home. And they end up in Japan uh, after catching a boat ride in the last uh, issue of this. Mm -hmm. And they go to see their good pal Sunfire. Oh, Sunfire. He's so happy to see everybody all the time. (laughs) Sunfire's just not. Now, I do think, again, Sunfire is someone with untapped potential. Because he could just be like mean to the x-men in a different way that other people are mean to the x-men and he could actually add he could add the rough edges that you don't get with modern day wolverine that's true i think that it's smart though to use him sporadically because if you always had this you know jerky guy that was constantly arguing and quitting then it might get to be a little bit much on a monthly basis but use sparingly sunfire is a is a delight he's mostly namor right (laughs) Like he's um, he's Japan yeah. Namor, sure. Yeah, uh, instead of water, he's he's fire. Um, Fun fact: I did on my wall for a while have a uh, comic book team up of Namor and uh, uh, Sunfire. Oh, okay. It wasn't a oh. good issue, but I liked it. <laughs> um, well, we're in we're in classic Claremont mode here. Um, John Byrne is doing pencils on both of these. We do have a guest inker on 118 of uh, Rick Viamonte. It's it, it's a definite visual shift mm-hmm. uh, from what we're used to. So it's not Terry you, Austin, that's for sure. Exactly. Um, and this is also that era where uh, Claremont is writing um, Luke Cage and um iron fist so we're getting cameos of those characters in this story that maybe to a contemporary reader might seem out of place but if you were reading it uh contemporaneously you'd probably be like oh that makes a lot of sense yeah it makes a lot of sense why gene gray's roommate is there (laughs) right and there there's cyclops is similarly amazed that misty knight just kind of like shows up out of nowhere um we're also getting is this the first appearance of mariko this is the first appearance of uh, Marco Yoshida. Yes. So uh, Wolverine is revealed to know how to speak Japanese, much to the, the cast's surprise. Um, Which is an catch- interesting touch that you cannot, I cannot believe had so many repercussions down the line. It's just adding a bit of mystery to him. <laughs> yeah, but it, it totally gives you a little bit of setup for uh, the Wolverine mini and, and where we're going next. Um, but the main thrust of this story involves some mandroids <laughs> and Moses Magnum. Ah, Moses Magnum. He's like, is he like an Iron Man villain or an Avengers guy? Like, what's he? I don't know. He feels like he kind of like crossed over from a black exploitation film. Like, he's, <laughs> he's an his interesting first character. His first appearance is fighting Punisher and Spider-Man in Giant Size Spider-Man number four. Okay. Not sure. what I was expecting. And then he was a Power Man and Iron Fist annual bad guy. Uh that, that wait, that hold tracks. on. I'm gonna I'm gonna guess that that was a Claremont Oh no, that was uh oh wait, no, Jerry Conway did the giant size and come on Marvel Wikia, tell me what it is. Tell me what it is. It was it was Chris Claremont on Luke Cage Power Man. Yeah, this guy definitely strikes me as like a uh a you know, a dr- daughters of the dragon or like, you know, some kind of villain from, from that universe. Yeah. Um, but he, his power seems to be the master of the Magnum force, whatever that is. And he's uh, going to sink Japan. 
Yeah, he's holding Japan hostage uh, for reasons that aren't well explained in this story. The X-Men have to fight him uh, while teaming up with Sunfire. Uh, there's some interesting stuff you know, with Marco Yoshida and Logan. And it eventually comes to the point where the only way to defeat Moses Magnum is for Banshee to scream louder and harder than he's ever screamed before and cut a mountain in half. Yeah, pretty much. He is countering the Magnum energy with his uh, sonic scream. And uh, it leads to very interesting sweaty templed growling and screaming that is almost like Dave Cockrum type illustrations, um, even though it's John Byrne. And uh, he succeeds. But this sets up the the status quo for Banshee for a long time where he is depowered, basically. Yeah, Banshee, unfortunately did not gel with the original cast as much as, you know, everyone else did. Mm-hmm. And they needed to make a little bit more room uh, coming into the Proteus Saga soon uh, and Dark Phoenix. So they take Banshee off the table, uh, which is unfortunate again because I like the character. But reading all this through, it felt like Claremont knew where he wanted to go with everyone else except for Banshee. So it's not yeah. surprising. No, it's not at all. I mean, you can tell that he and probably Byrne to a certain extent know who they want their core team to be and where they want this to go, um, at least, you know, in a general sense. Mm-hmm. And Banshee is not really fitting into the, the formula of the team. Right. And I mean, it had been a good four years at this point. It's fun to shake things up. Absolutely. And we do get this super sweet uh, ending where nobody picks Banshee up at the hospital and they surprise him at home with uh, a welcome back and Merry Christmas party, which, you know, is equal, <laughs> equal parts kind of jerky, but also kind of sweet at the same time. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's odd. Uh, we also get set up for Proteus here. Yeah. Uh, oh, yes. The disgruntled Angus McWhiter who rented a boat to the X-Men, which was destroyed. <laughs> uh, he's mad, and then Proteus gets him. Yeah, and that, that's the very next story. Um, so we're, we're getting that classic Claremont, you know, slow drip of, of information and feeding into new stories. Um, and you'll notice, I, we're not really talking about, like, the, the conflict in this story, because Moses Magnum really isn't that interesting. Mandroids and Colossus kicking them is not that interesting like this is not the classic uh villain setup that i think most people remember from this era um even though it has consequences for one of its main characters yeah this one's just not the best uh which is unfortunate but you know what they can't all be winners folks no um and you know we think of claremont writing these long game stories but the X-Men still was fairly episodic at times, and this is one of those adventures. So it's just a short two issues. Um, you know, they save Japan from sinking. Colossus does a really cool thing where he uh, can't stop himself from flying off an, al- an, an island. So he, like, grabs the ground and stops himself just in time. Um, little stuff like that is fun. But this is not a all-time classic, I don't think. It's not. Now, we do have some all-time classics on our list of 300 X-Men stories that we've ranked from best to worst. Mm-hmm. Uh, number one is Dark Phoenix Saga. Number 100 is House of M. 
Number 200 is, uh, where is it? Is that time that Wolverine and Nightcrawler went to a bar and mm-hmm. there was a penal looking thing on the cover? It was a racy Phallic. cover. It was, it was racy. <laughs> I was all get out. And number 300 is the Draco. I think this falls between 200 and 100. Um, yeah. I mean, we're, we're still talking about uh, some really fun Claremont stuff here, but um, it's, it's not. I don't think it's a, it's one that many people revisit on a regular basis. So, um, Ooh, how I, I do don't... you feel about it compared to number one eighty nine, uh, which is what happened to Kitty? Uncanny X Men one seventy nine. That time that she almost got married. That one time. I think that's a better issue and more indicative of sort of what they wanted the team to become. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that's really a fair comparison, but um, I like Uncanny uh, one seventy nine better. All right. Uh, how do you feel about it compared to uh, Phalanx Covenant Final Sanction at 193? I, ew, that's a tough one. But like I said, the art is a little bit more inconsistent on these two issues based on the guest inker. Um, I think I might give it to Final Sanction, which is an opportunity for Adam Kubert to kind of start strutting his stuff on Wolverine. It's true. It's true. I think I like this better than 198, which is Uncanny X-Men Quarantine, that Fraction Land art. I would agree. Um, I think it's better than 195, which is uh, Generation X 8 and 9, What Happened to Cassidy Keep. Okay, okay. Uh, very fitting for Banshee, but I don't think it beats uh, number 194, uh, which is the time North Star got married and some other things happened. I would agree. So that would make this our new 195? This would make it our new 195, Uncanny X-Men, 118, 119, The Submergence of Japan. Boom, boom, boom. Speaking of islands that are partially submerged by the end of the story, where are we going next, Zach? (laughs) Muir Island. We're going to the Muir Island saga. Uh, Oh, wow. This kind of snuck up on us. I I (laughs) would... This is that crossover that, like, I knew we were going to talk about at some point, but here it is. Yeah, this is Uncanny X-Men uh, 278 to 280 and X-Factor 69 and 70, uh, written by Chris Claremont, Fabian Cieza, with an uh, epilogue by Peter David, with pencils by Paul Smith, Andy Kubert, Wes Portacio, Kirk Jarvanen, and Stephen Butler. Wow, this is, uh, can I ask a question about this before we start talking about the actual book? Yes. Historically, Chris Claremont has always said in interviews that um, midway through, or like a couple of pages into scripting 279, is where he, that's where he stopped writing x Yeah, that's when right? he quit. Yep. Now, it, is that coming, is Mirror Island coming out concurrently with the X-Men relaunch? Like, how did that work? Did he, no, or did no. he write it first? And then I'm going to guess that because it was the big launch, uh, and I'm, I don't have dates in front of me, but what was, uh, yeah, no. Cause X-Men one would have come out in, uh, like October of 91. Hold on. Yeah. I feel like I need to, to do some comparisons here just to get a sense of what we're talking about in the timeline. Okay, so X-Men Volume 2, number one, came out October of 1991. So it came out right at the end of this because they launched uh, X-Men 
uh, with Lee and with Claremont. Uh, they launched the Portacio, uh, I guess, Uncanny book. Mm-hmm. And then they launched X Factor at the same time. Uh, and then I think they tried to do a, they did the Alan Davis uh, stuff with Excalibur right at the same time. And X Force would have been just a couple of months before. Right. Okay. Um, so maybe he had one, two, and three in the can as he's wrapping up. I'm going to guess. I'm okay. going to guess. All right. Um, this is a mess. Oh, it's bad. Uh, there's. It's it's Claremont trying to, you know, tie up a lot of loose ends that he had been building during the, I guess, the non-team era of X-Men mm-hmm. when everyone's gone through the Siege Perilous after the Outback stuff. Uh, but then he quits halfway through, it mostly because they decide they don't want to go his giant route, uh, which had been ongoing tensions for a while. Yeah. And... It, it just it doesn't wrap up uh nice. So the Shadow King, you know him. He's played by Aubrey Plaza. Uh, <laughs> uh in season one. Yeah. Uh, the Legion TV series. I forget um, I forget his actor for season two, but that guy. Oh, I love that guy. Good. Love that guy. Uh they gotta get that version of Shadow King back into the comics. That that would be brilliant. Yeah, a Shadow um, King who's actually good and or interesting. Yeah. <laughs> he's Here been. he's here he's basically just um, like the he's basically like Jack from Twitter here. Uh, <laughs> like he's pulling a Thanos as this opens, like sitting somewhere in the cosmos, sipping uh, a mimosa and like just really reveling in uh, the, the, the racial animosity that, that happens on the planet Earth and, and just just delighting in it. Um, it's a nice the first couple pages of this are a really nice, neat encapsulation of like really what the X-Men fight against, which I do appreciate. Like it has a bit of a strong start. Um, Paul Smith, unfortunately is not being inked by um, somebody that great. So the art here suffers because of that. Like, I feel mm-hmm. like the penciling is pretty strong, but it, it it lacks the uh, the classic Paul Smith look that we we come to remember from the From the Ashes era. Absolutely. Um, and and very quickly, this whole thing just it falls apart. Yeah, the Shadow King is uh, using Moira McTaggart to run an arena for mutants, uh, which is a thing Claremont loves. This was not the first time he's used this idea. It was not the last time he used this idea. <laughs> Yeah, and then, um, you know, we send in more X-Men, and everybody is starting to be under the influence of the Shadow King, who is apparently using Polaris as some sort of, like, I don't know, energy booster. Magnet wizard, I don't know. Sure, 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 sure. Um, And all of that is a mess. Like, I just don't know how else to put it. Like, the intentions of what this story is even supposed to be about seem very unclear to me. Yeah, so then they, uh, the government has to send X-Factor in, uh, and then X-Factor ends up saving the day. Right, um, and in the middle of this, Professor X is, like, sidelined to the mansion, and Shadow King tries to kill him with Colossus. So we have these, like, very different storylines going on at the same time, 
all at the same time that we're exchanging writing <laughs> writers and man, Fabian's doing his best, but God knows what's going on in his head as he's trying to pick up these, these story threads. Look, my personal best friend, Fabian Isiesa has written some great stories. He's written some stinkers. This one, though, was him being the company man and saying, I'm going to get our best-selling book out on time. And that's it. And, and to his credit, um, you know, he's he's making that happen. Um, I think another interesting aspect about this is that we're also being introduced to Andy Kubert, um, who is in 279 is being inked by Scott Williams, which is crazy to see. Um, you know, because Andy is going to be the, the series regular, but Scott Williams is Jim Lee's anchor. So we're, we're getting even a, a, a handing of the torch off in art duties, which is really interesting. Yeah. Uh, there's, this is an important story because it caps off Claremont's run because so much, you know, this is the, let's reset everything and get it ready for uncanny X-Men one, two, and three. It's bringing the team back together. But it doesn't land right at all. And even the epilogue for this is, you know, closing out X-Factor, but not really. It's just saying, hey, these guys are all going to be in the X-Men books again. You should read those. And instead, let's watch these uh, these weirdos work for the government. Which, I know they're like mild names now, but it ain't like Polaris was a big X-Men character or a strong guy or multiple man. That was not the case. No, not at all. Um, you know, and this is a, a piece of that puzzle where Claremont was clearly trying to kind of uh, shift around the roster and see who he could put into place to make for, you know, new versions of the team that he could expand his storytelling. But just given the dynamics of the artists gaining more control in this time period, it, it just doesn't work. Um, so we get these really amazing, like I really do love the, the first X factor issue here. Um, and Wills Portacio is doing a fantastic job. Yeah. Wills um, looks great. You know, he looks great, but then like there are certain pages where you can tell are kind of rushed, uh, later in the issue, we have an army of inkers that are like desperately trying to get these things out to, to, you know, to print. Um, there, there's a patience that was probably needed for a story like this, because this story involves multiple character possessions. It involves astral plane fighting. It involves Legion blowing up the island and then maybe not blowing up the island. Like it just doesn't work. Yeah, it's a it's a mess. I feel bad for Claremont, to, you know, that to be the end of his era, and he goes out on a better note with Mutant Genesis. Oh, agreed, definitely. Uh, but yeah, this one's this one's kind of a stinker. How do you feel about it compared to the last story we talked about? Um, wow, I don't think it's as good. You know, that's fair. Yeah, I, I think that Muir Island serves as a really interesting historical note on like what was going on behind the scenes editorially with creative teams, but as a as something to read and to understand, like there are literally panels where Fabian is testing out Gambit's uh Cajun-ness, quote unquote, and he 
doesn't sound like he's making any sense. Like you, you don't even understand what the characters are saying at certain points. So, um, I'm looking down the list and we have extinction agenda at two sixteen, um, which has some really high art highs, but we agreed is kind of a story mess. And I think even that is better than this. I would agree with that. Is it better than uncanny X-Men 215 to 216 old soldiers, which is at 228 on our list? Well, that's the murder grandpas. Um, Those are the murder grandpas. Yes. And I, I would say, even though I don't enjoy that story very much, I would still say it's more coherent than what we're getting here with Muir Island Saga. Okay. Well then let's scroll all the way down. Number 250 is judgment war from X factor. Mm, a story that, does make more sense than this um, and features some Paul Smith art that similarly lacks uh, the inking to really like polish it off into that classic look. Um, I don't know. I'm going to tell looking... you what my, okay, yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Well, I was thinking uh, I'm looking closer to 244, which is the end of new mutants. Um, you know, a similar, era ending and you know the artists taking control and the book suffering because of those changes in the in this um the publishing so i don't know here's what, were what you i'd gonna say, say? here's yeah. what i'd say let's put it above number 249 which is uh excalibur 96 to 100 the hell london hellfire club mm-hmm. below 247 uh, Uncanny X-Men, first class number eight, The Curse of the Crash. <laughs> the Leprechaun Murder Mystery? The Leprechaun Murder Mystery, yes. And then I don't know how I feel about The Curse of the Mutants. I All right. I, I, I hate it. Can, yeah. That's how I feel, actually. Let's give Muir Island the, uh, the, the slight edge there. You know, it is of uh, historical importance to X-Canon, shall we say, um, and, and the history of the book. So I, I think and we that can give time it a Jubilee edge. became a vampire is not important. Come on. Oh, it is. Um, but this also has like Will Sportacio drawing uh, Archangel busting out of a uh, an overcoat on the steps of the White House. Like it's pretty cool. <laughs> so I'll give it the slight edge. Well, that edge is going to have to uh, do it well because we're moving into our last story. All right, so we're two forty eight is Muir Island Saga. Did we decide that? Yeah, that is. All right. Um, so this this one's a real Banshee story. Did we yeah, didn't even actually, mention Banshee? Banshee was in that story. <laughs> he was he was chilling. He was chilling. He helped out X Factor. <laughs> he he was. There. But it's it's so nonsense that all the characters in that story are pretty much interchangeable. Oh yeah, like Amanda Septon appears for a panel and then never comes back wild very strange stuff anyway next story we're talking about is uncanny x-men 401 to 406 x-core man uh if you had told me that this was the same writer as poptopia i may not have believed you really i mean it's definitely like a comic that i would want to read Okay. 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 <laughs> uh there are definitely some some things that are happening here that are um 
maybe a little confusing to me. <laughs> like there's uh, a woman running around in her underpants that's sweating on people. Um, oh, you're talking talked about, about Stacy X. X. Have we talked about Stacy X? We've not. Stacy X uh, is from this run, uh, which is Joe Casey's run on Uncanny X-Men. And by the way, the artists on these issues, because there's six issues and three artists, uh, Ron Garney, uh, Aaron LaPresse, and Sean Phillips. Mm-hmm. Each do two of these issues. Uh, yeah, Stacy X is here. She is a mutant sex worker who is handled with all of the nuance that the world handled sex workers in the, you know, Hallison days of 2002, which is to say worse than we handle them today by a lot. Oh, boy. Uh, yeah. I mean, how many appearances had she made before this? I Maybe two? Does she appear like before X-Men Uncanny 400? She does. She appears the issue after Poptopia. Oh, okay. All right. So she's she's been here for a couple issues at this point. Um, but just a couple issues. Anyway, she's not the center focus of this. Uh, Banshee has created a uh, basically his own sort of paramilitary force here. Yeah, here's, here's the thing that's lost with context. Banshee's very upset for uh, Moira's death in... Yes uncanny a bit before this and from that he actually ends generation x uh in a real depressed drunken state Mm. and he pretty much continues that downward spiral here by setting up a paramilitary corps to uh help the x-men or help mutants around the world and here's the thing about the x-corps because he recruits he recruits some people for it including like jubilee monet and husk uh, right, we've got a little bit of a Gen X reunion here. He recruits Sunfire's sister, Sunpire. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, who else? Oh, Multiple Man. So, like, a lot of his friends. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then also, unbeknownst to the X-Men, who are very curious about all this, he did capture Jason Weingrind's, uh daughter and hook up in the basement uh, so that he could mind control the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants like uh, Avalanche and Blob uh, to do his bidding. Right. And if they don't do what he wants them to do in terms of these paramilitary strikes, then they get awful headaches and they feel like they're going to die. So they they play along. Um, so we have a very, I don't know, I don't love the way Blob is done here. Um, no, Blob's Blob's done bad. Yeah, but what we have is a series of events where they keep capturing, um, uh, they keep capturing mutants who could be potentially uh, villains who then turn around and become parts of his team. Yeah, like Abyss is here, Fever Pitch is here. You're all Surge, not, Surge, not that Surge. This Surge. This is a different Surge. Okay, wait, wait, wait. And I didn't look this up earlier. And shame on me. Uh, but wasn't there a, like a X Men Unlimited character named Surge who was Maverick's kid with electric powers, and he was played by uh, by uh, Dominic Gillahan? No, not him. Uh, who was the one who played uh, Pippin or Mary? Who played Mary in Lord of the Rings? Yeah, Dom- Dominic Gillahan. The kid from the guy from Lost. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, I think there actually is a uh, X-Men character named Surge, who I just assumed this was the whole time. And it's not? No, it's Mystique, remember? Well, I understand that, but... Yeah, but, like, isn't it modeled off of an actual character? And and I I think it is, but also everyone's like, we've never seen this guy before. Okay. And I don't know, it's just so weird because... We have this character named Surge who wears big gloves and has electric powers. And like the Surge that we know and love. Excuse me. His name was Bolt, not Surge. Oh, okay. I assumed. And you know what happens when you do that, Adam. So is that who Dominic Monaghan was playing in the Wolverine movie? Yes, he was playing. He was playing uh, Bolt, who is Maverick's son. Maverick, also known as Agent Zero, who is also in the movie playing his teammate, and they are of different ethnicities in the movie because they just kind of picked names of mutants without any regard for what their backstory was. Huh. Who played Maverick? Was it Will I Am? No, no. Will I Am played John Wraith. <laughs> oh Great God. question, though. <laughs> yeah, everyone forgets Will I Am from the Black Eyed Peas was in that feature film. I mean, that's the casting go to. Uh, I don't know why he hasn't appeared in other X Men films. Uh,. So yeah, uh, as you've also, you know, kind of spoiled where this is going to go. So you're you're getting a surge that is not the new X-Men surge, but that surge also happens to be Mystique. So this whole thing is sort of a gaslighting of Banshee into creating this group so that they can take over the paramilitary group and use it for evil. Did I get that right? <laughs> Yeah, I think so. Uh, Joe Casey doesn't do this plan very well. Because here's the thing that was bothering me the whole time. The X-Men are very, very cautious about what uh, Banshee and his X-Corps are doing. And by the way, his X-Corps are just wearing the movie uniforms of X-Men. That's all they're wearing. That is correct. Uh, Which feels like a bit of meta-commentary here. But... The, the stated mission that Banshee has and that the Generation X students and, like, Madrox and everyone who's good here has is literally just, like, what they say on Krakoa. It's like, yeah, uh, humans can just not screw with us. Uh, and we'll just protect protect mutants. And it's gonna be okay. Yes, we've also brought in some villains. Uh, but they're cool. We're, we're chilling. They're mutants, too. And mutants should be tried by mutant laws. <laughs> I, I think it's less to do with the mission statement and more to do with the context you know from the outset the way in which this is framed really does suggest that banshee has become a supervillain. um it is not necessarily that he is doing something super heroic by any means um and i i i see what you're saying but the context here is very different. And I think that to to the uh, credit of Angel and Nightcrawler, when they walk in, they're like, this seems a little fishy. Like, how indeed are you convincing the blob, for instance, to go and do what you're asking the blob to do? Um, especially uh, within you this You'd be nice frame. to him and let him have access to a library. Apparently, that's all it takes. And I am still waiting for good Fred to come back. I'm sure that in the uh, the... I'm I'm hopeful. Maybe we do know where there's an X core book at some point in the future. So maybe we get Good Fred back. Look, I'm pretty sure Leah Williams called Good Fred for her book. And oh, it's gonna yeah. say like I wanna keep doing Good Fred. Can I do Good Fred? <laughs> 
the world needs good Fred. Uh, this is not good Fred. This is um, <laughs> fat phobic Fred again. Like he's drawn in really just disgusting. Uh, I don't know. He, he looks like they he's do drop him times. like an atom bomb uh, from like five helicopters, which is a pretty creative use of his powers. I'll give him oh, that. Yeah. Yeah, we also have an army of multiple men here who are being slowly hijacked one by one. And, you know, we get a, a cord Jamie saying, I don't feel so good. Um, so there are some cool concepts here. Um, so I enjoyed reading this story. It's not the worst. Uh, by the way, Daniel Henney played uh, Agent Zero slash Maverick in X-Men Origins Wolverine. Uh, a guy whose best known role that I know him from is the voice of Tadashi uh, from Big Hero Six, the brother that gets blown up. Oh, okay, okay. I so I guess well, he has two X-related credits. That is a Chris Claremont book, right? It's a Chris Claremont book that Sunfire and the Silver Samurai were in. I've never read the like six issues of Big Hero Six. I hear they're not good. No, I have heard it is absolutely terrible, and I love that movie, so I am not going to read them. Yeah. Uh, so, can I tell you what's a weird thing about this arc? Um. Yeah, and then I think we need to uh, highlight something else that you found uh, as you were reading through this story. But what's the weird thing first? <laughs> Um, I don't know what I found in this story. That's oh, I'm why. going to tell you because it is great. <laughs> okay, I I definitely forgot, so we can see how much of an impression it left on me. Uh, but in this story, uh, the X-Men are like guest characters in their own book, right? Well, yeah, the X-Corps is, is the main characters uh, of this story, and they're being, the you know, the X-Men are guests. Um, we do get this very odd scene where Angel just gets to speak at the G8. That's not what happens at the G8, but okay. Um, oh, yeah, it's not. Also, Warren Worthington's not a great public speaker. I like <laughs> I like the concept of Warren Worthington using his wealth and privilege to be a spokesperson for the mutant race and, you know, like, push that agenda because he's able to work within those systems already. Mm -hmm. But also, I'm not convinced that Joe Casey knows the G8 is not mini UN. <laughs> right. You don't just get to walk in and make your PowerPoint presentation. Um, so that leads me to your discovery, which uh, I w anticipated eagerly because you, you read this ahead of me, um, but they finally give Angel a bazooka. Oh yeah, they do give Angel a bazooka <laughs> like he has on the cover of X-Men number one. <laughs> he uses it a lot. It's weird. It, it seems like they decided that Angel's going to have a bazooka and then wrote the final action sequence around that. Yeah, I think we should also mention that uh, the climax of this story, the end battle scene, happens uh, throughout France. And several landmarks are destroyed, including the Arc de Triomphe, uh, the Eiffel Tower, and the Iceman has to save the Louvre from being burned to the ground. <laughs> Yeah, uh, the Brotherhood makes some choices here that aren't great. Mm. Uh, the other interesting thing about this arc that I think we should just briefly touch on is 401 is part of Marvel's Nuff Said uh, initiative. Where oh, right. they did yeah. silent issues uh -huh. for everything. Yeah. Uh, but it's very not memorable and just... It's, con it it's confusing. It feels, 
it feels like uh, instead of telling a story just uh, visually, they wrote a regular script and then just didn't letter it. I had the exact same reaction because I'm trying to get introduced to this story and I'm I'm just baffled. You know, like it, it doesn't necessarily visually do what it's supposed to do to tell the story. Um, well, there's weird things like Banshee's in it and he has a new design in this. But that just means you don't really recognize that it's Banshee mm. because you don't have anything to tell you that. Yeah, there's also this recurring uh, and very unnecessary motif in here about the uh, original brother of Brotherhood of Evil Mutants appearing. Um which happens twice. It happens in the Nuff Set issue, and then it happens later in a vision to to Chamber. And it's so unnecessary. Like it, it doesn't add anything to the story. Um But just in the Nuff Set issue, it's like, wait, what? Why? What? Okay. Um so it does more to just kind of like pique my interest, I guess, but it, it doesn't necessarily work. I mean, if you compared it to like let's say the all red dupe issue, like, come on, there, there's no contest. Yeah. Uh, the enough said issues were either great or terrible and there was <laughs> no in between. Uh, yeah. But anyway, um, uh, you know, Banshee does survive being like basically having his throat slit at the end of this by mystique. So that's good, right? Yeah. That's a, that's a positive. I would say. <laughs> Uh, and I enjoyed reading this. I, I thought that it was uh, leaps and bounds above uh, Poptopia, um, which I mm-hmm. really did not like watching. And, you know, we're left with a, a more despondent Banshee here. It's it's a different place to leave the character than we're used to. Yeah, and then no one's going to do anything with him until he flies in front of an airplane and dies. So uh, Banshee's really been kind of not used well since let's call it generation x well yeah i mean because what is his legacy after that he turned into a a, a reborn zombie that beast made in a closet so um you know we're i'm assuming he's back and he's better than ever or maybe he's still a zombie have we figured out he showed up in hawks one he's fine oh good I'm so Remember, quiet. everyone's status quo now is that they're fine, unless they are a precog like Blindfold or Destiny, and that's mm, about it. That's right. Or or they, uh, their teenage selves came back and killed them. Uh, <laughs> so they remain a teen. Oh, cable. Oh, dial cable. Up. Um, all right, so you just mentioned Deadly Genesis. We have that at 2.30. Is this better or worse than Deadly Genesis, Zach? I think this is better than Deadly Genesis. I think so, too. Um, now... Uh, but, like, up... 220 is up here. Bishop's Crossing? I don't think it's better than Bishop's Crossing. No. No. I don't either. Um, we're definitely in the right place there, though. So, is this better than Extreme X-Men Expose? Yeah, it is. Okay. I think it's better uh, it's... than Murder Grandpa's and the Monet Vampire Slayer issue of Gen X. How I high... think it's on par. I think it's on par with the Bun Candy X-Men Survival of the Fittest. Mm, yes. And I probably like it better than uh, the Daken uh, Dark Wolverine story. I do as well. How do you think about it versus the uh, C.B. Cebulski Age of Apocalypse from 2005? Um, I like that Age of Apocalypse better. It has better art. 
All right, then uh, you comfortable slotting this into 225? Yeah, this give me our new 225 uh, X-Core. Not to be confused with... Not to be confused with X-Corp or X-Corporation, which were at the exact same time. (laughs) Not confusing at all. Oh, and not confusing at all was this episode. I want to thank Will for uh, supporting it. If you want to be like Will, you can go on over to patreon.com slash Files and throw money at the Battle of the Atom Patreon fund. It's really cool. It lets us do things. Uh, If you can't do that, then like maybe leave us a rating on iTunes. It's cool. Or tell your friend. Tell your friend. Don't tell me. I already know I do it. I'm (laughs) I'm involved right now. Tell a different friend that's not me. if you like my twisted brand of humor here, you can go on over to XavierFiles.com. That's where you have weekly articles about all the different X-Men books, uh, some latest news that's going out, uh, and then follow me on Twitter at XavierFiles. That's all cool. Hey, Adam, what's up? Hey, uh, follow me on Twitter at Arthur Stacy. Um, just to let everybody know, I am going to be taking a hiatus from Boda. Um, we're going to have some really good guest uh, hosts in the meantime, and I hope to be back as soon as possible. Yeah, I'm going to miss you, Adam, but it's going to be very, uh, it's going to be a fun and different little ride for a little bit. We're going <laughs> to, we're going to take this show into some new directions, uh, really mix it up and see what happens. Yeah, I'm excited to listen to it. So, uh, I'll be back as soon as I can be. That's true. Now, next week, uh, we are going to be having friend of the show, Charlie Davids, uh, coming on to talk i don't know we haven't decided yet they're probably going to pick something to do with 90s x-force uh just <laughs> look i i know their brand uh but until then this has been bow the atom and we hope you survived the experience Get it!